Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 128. This week's episode features a photographer known for her, her exceptional work in the Yosemite Valley of California, Franca Gabler. Franca was born and raised in Croatia and developed a strong fascination and admiration for nature early in life. She moved to California in 1997 and soon experienced her first wilderness backpacking trip in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Afterwards, she fell deeply in love with the amazing landscapes in California. Now she spends as much time as possible hiking and exploring wilderness areas and always carries her camera and tripod with her, capturing unique impressions. She lives in the Sierra foothills in the small mountain town of Gold, not far from Yosemite National Park. Frank and I covered a lot of really fun ground this week, including her journey as a landscape photographer, her creative process for finding intimate landscape scenes, her philosophy for looking for light before the subject, the role that mood plays in her photography, and lots more. Over on Patreon this week, Franca tells us all about her journey printing her photography and being represented by several galleries in California, and she provides some tips on how you might want to try that as well. Well, speaking of Yosemite, I have officially joined as an instructor at the esteemed Landscape Photography Conference out of Yosemite on February 5th through the 9th, 2020. I will be teaching, recording podcasts, and hosting panel discussions with some of our favorite photographers and past guests, including Alex Noriega, Colleen Minnick, Charlotte Gibb, Jack Curran, Michael Fry, and many more. I hope to see you there. If you're interested in attending, follow the link in the liner notes and use the code FSTOP250 for $250 off your registration. Okay, let's get to the show. Well, Franca Gabler, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. I'm glad you could uh, could make it. Um, I think you've been recommended uh, for the podcast by at least two people. I want to say uh, David Hunter and, and Charlotte Gibb, uh, maybe more. So thank you for finally uh, joining us. Uh, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Um, I guess it would be cool to maybe just um, have you kind of introduce yourself, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, and then um, I'd love to hear how you got into photography. All right. So um, I usually describe myself as a scientist and a photographer, and um, my background is uh, in, I'm ag engineer and plant pathologist, and um, the first part of my, um, well, adult life <laughs> was, focused, was focused on, on <laughs> science, uh, building my scientific career. And then um, I moved to the United States about a um, little bit over 20 years ago. It was, uh, well, everything was different then. I had to start from scratch. I had to uh, prove myself in scientific community, and I was focused on uh, doing experiments for my uh, PhD dissertation. 
uh, on scientific work, publishing papers, and then suddenly, in um, uh, probably ten years later, I started uh, doing photography, and I'll tell you um, about it a little bit later. I uh, during my well science scientific career, I I did um, use my camera. I even had my first Photoshop class. Um, University of California invited USDA agriculture research people where I work um, for a Photoshop class because as uh, scientists we um, we photograph um, so we had to learn how to process and edit photographs in order to um, have them acceptable for presentations and publications. So um, that was a good thing to do when I transitioned from film to digital. Yeah, no doubt. Like what, what is a, I mean, I feel like a lot of people probably know, but what is, what exactly is plant pathology involve? Uh, yeah, plant diseases. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right on. So, so yeah, that, 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 yeah, that, that's what, that's what I did from my dissertation and, um, that's my specialty. Awesome. Yeah, I, I always liked working with um, with plants. Um, I love nature, and uh, um, yeah, it was. I, I thought it was uh, science, science, and especially if you have a career as a scientist, is a it is a creative, creative work because you kind of um, try to solve problems. And there are many different approaches or solutions. So uh, just thinking about how to solve a problem, um, it's a very creative process and how you approach it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, um, I've had several other people on the podcast that are, they were scientists first and then nature photographers second. And I've, I've found there to be kind of some similarities between between all of you science, scientist uh, photographers, which I think is interesting where the you, your kind of scientific mind helps inform your, your creative process a little bit. Uh, yeah, and there is also part of um, technical, you know, challenges that you have to overcome for both. So I, I think they, um, they're kind of complementary to each other. Yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Um, you had mentioned... You moved to the United States about 20 years ago. Uh, where did you move from, and wh- why did you decide to come to the United States? Oh, well, by now you figured out my accent. So I'm, I'm originally from Croatia. Okay. I moved here uh, for a study visit. I was enrolled in the graduate school um, in Croatia, and I was invited to visit a uh, university here uh, for a couple of months. But that was kind of an excuse because what I really wanted to do is um, that it's, um, I don't know if I should talk about this. My boyfriend was from United States at that time. I'm, I knew him from my um, early well, late teens, teen years, and then uh, about 10 years later or so, we reconnected, and uh, it was a love story, and I wanted to, you know, come here, be with him, and so I was exploring um, 
you know, ask him, well, what are the, you know, universities that I could come and uh, visit? And and then, um, because he lived in Oakhurst, I said, where's Oakhurst? I had to Google this uh, on the map. I wasn't, I never heard of it. And he said, near Yosemite. Oh, yeah, I was so happy then. And then I was, <laughs> and then I I was searching for you know nearby universities, and there was um, Fresno State. A professor from Fresno State um, invited me to come for a study visit, but I wanted to come so soon, and I showed up in November, and then I came to university, and I asked, well, I. I'd like to, you know, do some research and so I can come home and have uh, some enough work so I can publish a paper. And unfortunately, all their trials were in the springtime and it was mostly outdoor work. And they only offered me, um, says, well, you can, you know, work with insects, try to identify, you know, bugs. And I freaked out. Insects were never my... <laughs> Uh, never my first love. I was kind of always I had a little bit phobia about bugs, and um, and then uh, they suggested to go to um, uh, USDA Agriculture Research Service, and uh, which was located at that time in Fresno. I showed up there, told them who I was and uh, my background. I I said I'd like to you know volunteer. Uh, and kind of join some of your research project. And they told me you came at the right place at the right time. And then, um, I know, that was that was 1998. And I got um, uh, the master key. This was a different time before 9-11. And I could do anything what I wanted in terms of research, access any equipment, uh, talk to all the experts. Oh my gosh, I was in heaven. Um, it was such, it, it was it was such an opportunity because uh, it was different uh, from what I was used to at the time back in Croatia. J- just opportunities and that anything was possible. <laughs> and so I was I was so happy. Uh, I. It was a commute uh, from Oakers to Fresno. It took me about um, 50 minutes, but I was driving to work every day, singing in my car, um, <laughs> thinking about, <laughs> thinking about, you know, uh, which experiments I'll do, what I need to do. Um, yeah, I was, I was happy, and I stayed there for a long time. Um, I got um, enough material. I uh, did all my experimental work for my um, PhD. I uh, got that. Then I stayed as a postdoc there for many years. Yeah, how did you go from uh, from a plant pathologist to a nature photographer? Because that seems like a on the surface, it seems like it could happen fairly naturally. But I, I'm guessing there's kind of a story behind that. There is. Um, so um, I mentioned. Um, Yosemite. I, I lived fairly close. Um, I lived in Oakhurst at the time, which is like just about 25 minutes from the southern entrance. I remember when I first, um, wow, when I first visited Yosemite, and it was, I think it was early June um, 1998, and waterfalls were seeping from every rock uh, everything was green and lush and i saw the 
you know, a tunnel view, and I did like every other uh, you know, tourist does. You know, just uh, I was in awe, uh, and I I have thought of me a tunnel view, and I I can see sparkle in my eye from that photo, and so. After, and then it took me like six months to get there. And I don't know why I didn't go before. I asked my husband, you know, why didn't you show me this before? And uh, um, ever since, I, I've been just going there uh, all the time. I couldn't wait until someone would, you know, a guest from Europe would come by and I would take them to Yosemite and I learn all the um, spots to photograph and... So um, then, um, so that was Yosemite, and then there is backpacking. So, um, so Yosemite is, uh, as you may know, it, it's it's uh, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's uh, uh, but it comes with a price. <laughs> Too many people uh, love it. So <laughs> it's really, um, yeah, and um, so. Then um, I, I have friends that were all into camping and backpacking, and I didn't have any prior experience with that um, because in Croatia, um, at least the part where I'm from, which is a coastal part, it was all around the sea, Adriatic Sea, about uh, sailing. Uh, so my family had a 36-foot sailing boat, and this is how we used to, yeah, this is how we used to spend our vacation, um, which are European vacation, you know, last longer than here. <laughs> and then first I, uh, so I, I, we had that boat since I was six years old. I grew up on that boat. Um, it was, I think my love for nature uh, came from that experience of sailing the Adriatic. Uh, Croatia has about 1,100 um, islands, big islands, small islands, about 80, some of them are inhabited. And each island has uh, numerous uh, bays, um, you know, secluded beaches that you can only access by boat. Yeah, I'm looking at the map. It looks amazing. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I, and I got to see, you know, many, many of them. And one particular um, experience that uh, I thought I would always miss um, when I moved to United States was um, waking up in a secluded bay, being the only boat that's anchored there. And um, just first thing I would do is dive into the sea and swim for half an hour or so. Uh, and uh, with no one else there, just our little boat. And um, I thought I would miss that when I came here because, uh, well, Yosemite was, Yosemite Valley was crowded. But then um, when I went for my first backpacking trip, um, we went to, it's a funny name, Jackass Lake. <laughs> it was a beautiful um, 9,000 9, feet, um, couple lakes. And, uh, um, a, I, my friend, um, they, my friends gave me the equipment, the backpacking because I didn't have anything. I just didn't know camping or backpacking. And, uh, it was a little bit hard work getting there. And then the following morning when I woke up, it was a deja vu moment. It was, 
um, it recreated all uh, retrieved all those memories of um, you know Croatia and uh, waking up in a peaceful place. That's how it felt, and I knew um, this is the way to go. That I want to. That I need that. So, little by little, yeah, little by little, I just, um, yeah, I uh, joined REI, and <laughs> yeah. over the years, yeah, I, um, I really, um, I, I have, so well, all the camping equipment needed, all the backpacking <laughs> equipment needed. Um, I kind of. Um, when I moved from Croatia, and you know, I had a lot of stylish clothes and shoes, and uh, I thought, you know, uh, I will have opportunity to wear them here. Um, I think they're still in my closet. <laughs> and then um, um, I, I, um, I just now I have like four or five pairs of hiking boots, and I get all excited when I. Uh, go to REI and buy more hiking pants and hiking boots and hiking shirts. And, um, yeah, my, my life, it changed. Yeah. I was going to say that's, uh, quite the change. <laughs> well, this was a long time ago. So, um, <laughs> yes. So, so this is, this is what I try to do every year. Um, so I, I, I try to make, um, like at least two backpacking trips a season, two, three, sometimes four. The rest of it is um, like on photography driving trips. Like I live close to Yosemite Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I live in Coors Gold, which it takes me about 40 minutes to the southern entrance and about hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minutes to Yosemite Valley. Mm-hmm. That's not and bad. I go there all the time. Um, it's it, it's not. It's, uh, I basically look um, at uh, NOAA's weather forecast, and um, if I think there will be interesting weather, um, I'll either take day off work or hopefully it's weekend and just plan to go there. And when I look at my files um, on my computer, you know, every time I go, I have a date. And I think I make at least 25 trips to Yosemite Valley. Wow. Uh, a That's year. That's a lot. I know. <laughs> I, I, uh, it is, but I, I don't stay, you know, I don't stay long. Uh-huh. As you mentioned, I like, um, I like uh, going early. Uh, photographing alone and the only way I can do that is actually to go early so I I, I wake up um, set my alarm depending on the season <laughs> uh, and sunrise time um, like you know to be there prior to sunrise so sometimes it's um, uh, 3 p.m. sometimes it's 5 p.m. and uh, drive there and um, and I just, um, you know, walk into the woods, take in the scent of fresh air. I wander along the riverbank. I listen to the trees. Uh, I listen to the new um, sounds of uh, waking wildlife. Uh, and uh, I, feel, I feel so peaceful, you know, that gentle morning light, um, the tranquility. One of the things I was hoping to ask you about in terms of... Um 
Yosemite specifically, as you mentioned, it's a very popular photography destination. Um, but you like photographing alone. And I'm curious, uh, how, do, how do you find uh, solitude in a place with such high amount of popularity? And how does photographing alone inform your creative process as a photographer? So, so um, one way to uh, escape crowds is, as I mentioned, uh, getting there early enough. Um, <laughs> right. Because you only have a couple hours. And what I usually do is when, um, well, first uh, visitors, you know, from outside Yosemite start arriving around 8.30. By that time, I already have couple, had a couple hours alone. And by that time, light is usually, um, if it's, if it's um, not a really special day with patchy clouds and light, uh, usually the the best light is already um, behind. So I had this couple hours for myself, and um, I I do uh, I park my car and put on my photo backpack, my tripod, and just walk into the woods by the river. And most of the time, um, unless sometimes I can encounter a photography workshop, um, you know, at some locations which, um, you know, I just greet and then move on. Uh, and I look <laughs> and I look for my, um, yes, and sometimes they surround me. You know, I'm there first and then they come and uh, you're suddenly surrounded by, you know, many people. And, um, but uh, uh, that's Yosemite. Yeah, it's love to death. <laughs> Everybody loves it. And so. I was curious, have you, have you, have you seen that, uh, have you seen that change um, over the years, has it gotten worse? Yes, it it got uh, much worse. Well, there are many, many more visitors, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of um, people from other countries that um, now have money to travel, and they do. Mm -hmm. And you can't blame them. You know, they they want to see you know the wonder of the nature and. Uh, so you just have to work around them. And uh, one way to do it is get in there early and uh, maybe avoid places, uh, you know, when they will be, like popular large vista places like Tunnel View or Sentinel Bridge or, um, you know, Valley View. They, um, they all tend to um, congregate there. Not that I don't like to photograph a larger vista, I do, but um, I mostly like smaller scenes. If you, so think how many large vista compositions can one take from, let's say, tunnel view in your center? Right, like two. You can take, <laughs> um, you can photograph. Well, yeah, th if you stretch it, maybe four. So El Capitan, or you can do El Capitan and Cathedral Rocks, which is a classic composition. And then if you're lucky, you know, uh, maybe Half Dome is showing, and then you need to have a really, you know, telephoto lens to photograph that. And then Cathedral Rocks and um, Bridal Well Fall. So um, it's kind of limiting in terms of compositions. So the, the success of 
a large Vista photograph mostly depends on interesting weather or light and less on the unique composition. So uh, I like a little bit, um, I, I prefer intimate compositions um, which, which um, allow for extracting unique scenes from otherwise well-known places. And uh, and that and that adds an additional additional layer of creativity. And um, so sure. um, that that these are my preferred uh, compositions and subjects. So I'm curious, um, having uh, having a preference for intimate landscapes, has that been something that you've always had, or has that have you kind of evolved into that space over time as a photographer? I evolved uh, as a photographer. So when, when I think of, well, every um, you know, every photographer who, um, well, if if I come to a place that I don't know that I haven't been, of course I will photograph, uh, you know, all the icons associated with that place, and hopefully I'll have nice light and nice weather. But then uh, that's it, you know. Once um, once you have uh, it takes many takes so uh, not, uh, over the years because conditions change and then you realize what I mm-hmm. you know what I photographed five years ago oh now I have a better one um, so I will I will not refuse to photograph it I will photograph it but uh, it has to be really special light or special weather and it's usually um, I, I don't I don't even think that I ever printed a tunnel view print. Um, I, I just I I feel um, that it's lacking a personal approach. So yes, I, I evolved. I go um, I, I right now I I mostly um, photograph smaller scenes, not really details. Uh, uh, but um, like a group of trees or like, um, uh, oh, yeah, I love trees. Um, <laughs> uh, most most, most times. <laughs> you sound like, you sound like Charlie, Charlie. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, I, I thought you were going to say Charlie Kramer. Uh, yeah, he loves trees too. I, I think uh, oh. being, um, you know, plant pathologist um, that kind of, um, I like living things. Uh, they change. Um, you know, rocks and waterfalls and rocks and water, they're always there, kind of. Uh, they don't change much. But trees, you know, they grow, they change color, they change shape. They, um, they are constantly growing, evolving. Even, uh, you know, when they're dying, I, I, like, I like photographing dead trees too. Um, they add to the story. And um, <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know about you. I I found um, taking pictures of trees, um, depending on the topography, it can be pretty challenging to isolate the subject and uh, figure out the best way to compose it. Um, I actually found these really gnarly trees on this ridge that's kind of like always battered by wind. And these trees were just like all gnarled and sideways looking, which is pretty unusual for aspen trees but I could not find a good way to photograph them. <laughs> it was just like, I don't, I can't figure this out. <laughs> well, that's when uh, mist and fog come to play. Yes. Because 
yes, the, these are my favorite conditions. And um, yeah, if if you yeah you check my website, then you would see that um, well, most of my um, trees photographs are have some mist or fog, and and the reason is because uh, that fog will conceal. Uh, all the distracting elements and so I can just focus on my composition and it also changes as it moves you know some portions gets revealed and then uh, they get obscured again and then some other composition reveals itself and uh, oh my I, I have a journal in Russia at that time uh, because it's so exciting it's almost like an action <laughs> it's almost like action photography it's like just chasing, um, you know, chasing fog and um, seeing what it reveals, and then compose it. So, um, so most of my photographs um, have that ethereal, atmospheric feeling, and uh, uh, so um, even dead trees or burnt trees look wonderful in fog. There is no way. Uh, yeah, it, it's very hard to photograph, uh, you know, a burnt burnt forest um, if it's not foggy, or because it's just too much clutter and it's. Um, but then when yeah, when fog rolls fog rolls in, it uh, becomes magic. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, one of the things you said earlier about you know you said you you didn't think you had printed anything from Tunnel View. And that um, that it lacks a personal approach or personal vision. I was curious um, why is why is having a personal approach or a personal vision important to you as a photographer? Oh, that's, <laughs> I'm not sure if I. Um, it just is. <laughs> it's um, it's what it's it's what um, you know excites me to um, or. or um, defines me as a photographer uh there is there is um because we are just saturated by that huge amount of um like uh known icons um photographs that everyone has and and i mentioned before it's it's just um well yeah you have to you have limited compositions, so so adding that um, additional layer of creativity by composing something uh, new, it's um, it just um, I think I think uh, it works for me. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like, would you would you say that? It, I mean, it sounds like it's even just as simple as saying that is what you find fulfilling to you as a as a creative person exactly you said it just right yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and not 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 to say that like if 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 you were to say that i love shooting tunnel view the same shot over and over and over again in different conditions if that was personally fulfilling to you like there's nothing wrong with that either it's just like that's not what makes you tick right yes exactly Yeah, it's funny because I feel like people want that to be kind of a debate, you know, like one is better than the other. And I don't think that's necessarily true. It's just if that's what you really love to do, then why not talk about why it excites you? Right. I I think most people, you know, do uh, both. It's um, most photographers, you know, do both. And I will sometimes shoot 
tunnel view and valley view and and uh, most of times uh, you know um, if I some of those prints uh, yeah they people like to buy them <laughs> so um, that's that's uh, and, and they're beautiful you know it's uh, in, in perfect conditions these are beautiful so uh, you can't really ignore beauty but just the uh, I'm I'm more inspired by mm -hmm. smaller scenes and um, with personal touch. I like it. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned on your website is, uh, which I found to be, I wouldn't say unusual. I found it intriguing, and I was hoping to talk to you about it. Was uh, you say something to the effect that uh, your approach to a scene is to first uh, to first find interesting light and then find the subject. And I think maybe just speaking for myself, but I know there's a lot of other photographers too. They, usually they have the opposite approach. You know, they have a subject in mind and then they're hoping that they get good light. So I'm curious to hear you talk about how that approach to landscape and nature photography uh, works for you and, and how you go about doing it. <laughs> so so you, you have to have uh, both. You have to have... Um, <laughs> You know, interesting light and interesting subject and maybe interesting weather. I mean, if you have all three, that's fantastic. But um, if if I just, um, my approach is more intuitive. I, I don't plan what I will photograph on a particular day. I just, um, I get myself out there with open senses and I, um, I just, uh, feel the space, feel the place. I, I wait to see what entices me, what draws my attention. Um, and what first draws my attention is light. And then um, I'm, I'm looking um, to find a composition where the interesting light is. So whether it's, uh, um, you know, um, I try to recognize the story um, in a chaotic surrounding and then extract it and extract just interesting parts. Uh, so I'm looking for a beam of light or uh, objects that uh, breaks a pattern or a group of objects that form an interesting pattern. Um, then if you are photographing water and rocks, you know, balance of stillness and movement, stillness being rocks and movement being water. Um, but um, if you're only focused on um, subject, then, uh, you know, the subject may be great, the composition is great, but it may miss light. It may miss uh, good weather to be, you know, interesting. So, so sometimes um, uh, so, so I, I don't like to be limited or limiting myself uh, by a choice of subject. So I'd rather go and... Um, explore where the light is and see if, and especially because I'm mostly um, photographing uh, more intimate scenes than large vistas so I find my own subject and I don't know what it will be on a particular day I, I don't really plan um, you know just get out there and see what draws my attention no I think I love that approach i've I definitely have tried to do more and more of that style of photography over the last couple of years and um it requires a great deal of patience and I think you know some people myself somewhat included uh you know your personality is not 
well compatible with that approach. Like you want to have a plan, you want to have a um, a specific scene in mind or whatever. So it's I think it takes a different mindset to approach photography in that way. I I, I agree totally. Yes. So my 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 mindset is more intuitive <laughs> rather than uh, pragmatic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to be open to to finding interesting things that you may that might catch you by surprise, and then you also have to be open to the idea that you may not take a single good photograph that day. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I learned that lesson a long time ago, and. Um, and it requires, um, well, knowing the, the place. So um, I, well, I already mentioned, you know, I go to Yosemite all the time. I think I know it well, but there's always things to be find out, found out and explored. But um, I like to um, develop a relationship with the place. Um, I don't think I'm that great <laughs> in uh, travel photography, you know, just, come to a new place and um, I'm, I'm totally um, unprepared. I don't know what to photograph. I don't know, uh, you know, when to photograph. I, um, but so I usually go to same places, you know, more and more repeatedly um, all the time. And it's, um, it's like um, developing a relationship. Um, it takes time to go deeper, to get to know each other, to become intimate, to, um, uncover hidden moods and character of the place. Um, so may- maybe one reason uh, is that uh, I'm limited in how many days off I can take at a time because I also um, have, um, you know, I almost have two jobs. I have a, a job as a scientist and job as a photographer. <laughs> but um, so I- I'm I'm not able to take as many days off as I would love to. So uh, with an exception of Yosemite, um, where I go all the time, most of my photography trips are maybe two to three day trips. So um, other locations I photograph are within three to six hours of driving. Um, I often go to eastern Sierra Nevada or Mono Basin and Owens Valley. Um, I go to Central and North Coast and Death Valley. So these trips I make maybe um, about three to four times a year, depending on on a place. Um, but uh, the reason is because I like to um, know the place. I like to know, uh, you know, to become acquainted with it. Uh, and then I feel more comfortable and less stressed when I try to uh, decide where to go to photograph. Um, I'm more calm. I just, I just, um, and, and then by going many times, you know, of course, uh, there is uh, uh, more likelihood that you will encounter, you know, beautiful weather or light. No, definitely. Thinking about myself for a second, uh, I feel like there's kind of pros and cons to that approach. You know, on the one hand, what I've found for me is uh, when I go to a new place, there, you know, you're kind of filled with excitement and everything around you is interesting, which I think sometimes can be really distracting. Uh, but also, I don't know, there's that sense of kind of uh, curiosity and um, excitement that's also attached to that, uh, which I find invigorating. Um, in nature photography 
But then, like you say, when I think about the locations that I've gone back to over and over again, there's a sense of, you know, you feel more calm and at ease and you're not as, you don't feel like you're under as much pressure to produce a good image. And I feel like when I think about it, I have probably better photos from those places because I'm more familiar with what to expect. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, one of the uh, one of the ideas that I wanted to talk to you about, too, was um, kind of what what is the role of uh, mood play uh, in your in your photography? Oh, yeah, that, that's um, that's what I'm primarily drawn to that because I um, it's part of my experience and um, that often shows in my photograph and um, I I just get um, really inspired by um, by subtle um, moody scenes um, and it, it almost I had several exhibitions and they were all evolving around um, <laughs> ethereal moody um like um soft light and it's also easy to photograph you know when you have soft light when you don't have um too much contrast it's it's um it's just you don't you don't have too much to do in post-processing after that i don't need to bracket um um, I don't need to bracket either for exposure or for focus because if i have I, I don't even have to have expensive lens for photographing a subject in fog because they'll be blurry anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good not, point. Not, not that I, yeah, not, not that I don't have good lenses, but uh, it's just um, it. I, I think it's um, it's kind of um, uh, it's easier uh, and and just um, it's also my inner zen that kicks in at the moment when I photograph, uh, you know, nice, quiet, moody scene. I just, I'm totally immersed into, um, into the scene. I become part of it. I, I just, many, many times I just, uh, before I start photographing and, uh, I just say thank you. I don't know to whom or to what, but I say thank you. And I'm happy, <laughs> I'm happy to just, you know, feel that experience that be being there uh, at the time um and then of course i um start you know scrambling for my um you know lenses and cameras and um, try to capture it but first i experience it so i, I think that shows uh, you know how i'm so so inspired and that that, that shows when i photograph it mm, yeah no it's it's funny as you're describing that i was struck by a story um from one of my photography adventures a couple of years ago. Um, me and a group of other photographers were camped um, really high up, um, car camped, but it was pretty high up in the middle of nowhere in Colorado. And uh, I had never been to this area before, and I had this very specific scene that I wanted to shoot in the morning, and I was really excited about it. And it snowed like all night. This was in fall which was pretty unusual. And we woke up the next morning and we were just enveloped in super thick fog, you know, like you couldn't see more than maybe 15 feet away from where you were standing. Um, and I remember 
I wasn't super excited about it at the time. I was like, because it's not what I was expecting, right? I was kind of expecting this other scene. And I remember we were driving up uh, to find some interesting places to shoot in in these conditions. And one of the photographers that was with us, uh, his name was Shane, Shane McDermott, who's on the podcast before. He, he just said to us like, oh, we're, we're just, we're in for a real treat today. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget it because he was right. Like it was a really special day, like being kind of enveloped in the fog, in the fall colors. And there's just something magical about that, that type of scene that uh, you can't predict. And it, and it makes some, it makes so many more subjects so much more interesting than, than they normally would be. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> I, I can um, just imagine how you. <laughs> I, I I wish I were there. <laughs> can you tell us about yeah, the Sierra no, me too. art trails? Uh, <laughs> I wish to go back, um, take better advantage of it because it was some pretty some pretty magical light for sure. I mean, it was just so soft and everything was just perfect. There was no wind. It was still. Um, it was just a really amazing day. <laughs> it was muddy though. That was the only bad thing. It was muddy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, just what, what you said. It's open studio tour. It's about, um, I think this year is, um, I think it's 17th year um, of the Sierra Art Trails. I don't want to be wrong. I have a catalog here, so I will check. Um, yep. So this year is 17th um, year of it's it's like a grassroots open studio event. Um, there are about uh, 90 to 100 artists in all media uh, opening their studios or uh, showing at um, their friends' studios uh, or showing at local businesses. And it's a three-day event. It's always uh, the first weekend in October. So it's coming soon, uh, in a couple of weeks. And uh, uh, we published a little catalog um, that has, um, well, sometimes it has 140 pages, but it, it includes um, uh, all the uh, artist listings, which show um, a representative piece and little artist statement, uh, contact info, exhibit, uh, exhibit info where, where they're showing, and um, uh, people buy that, and uh, uh, that uh, usually um, they, um, so it's several communities. It's uh, Eastern Madera and Mariposa counties. Uh, it includes uh, Coors Gold, Yosemite Lakes, uh, Norfolk, uh, Bass Lake, Ogres, Mariposa, Awani. And uh, there are three maps. Um, they show locations of all the artists and people just uh, decide uh, what they want to see. Uh, artists are listed by medium or alphabetically and they circle, you know, their, and make their own trail and just explore. And uh, many times there are demos involved, um, like painters who do demos and um uh, that brings people in. And um, this is the time where I can um, show most of my work. I usually show at my home studio. And uh, I, I may have about about 150 to a little bit more um, uh, visitors over a three-day um, 
uh, event. So it's usually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, this is where I can show most of my stuff and uh, group it that I wanted. You know, in the, in the galleries, you can only show like, you know, maybe 10 pieces or um, 10, 12, depending on the place and space. Um, but here I can show most of it. So uh, a lot of people, um, and, and that's how I got some gallery, um, you know, invitations. They came to my studio, they saw my work, and they asked me, you know, if I could um, show my work at their gallery. So I did. Um, and um, this this is uh, this is my favorite event. Uh, this is when I really get excited because it's. Uh, it's uh, there is a lot of preparation. My my whole house gets transformed. Um, I people come in and outside. I um, yeah. The only problem would be if it rains, then I have to um, protect my work and bring it in the house between the days. Otherwise, it just stays outside. It's a quiet uh, weekend. And um, it's uh, uh, well, if you are in the area, <laughs> or for those who you know in the area, first weekend in October. Sierra Art Rails, it, it's really fun event. And uh, um, yeah, I see that uh, October October 4th through the 6th. And I think this podcast should go out right before that. So it's kind of perfect timing. Yes, it is. Yeah, they can go to sierraarttrails.org and um, get all the information they need. And, um, and you know what? Once, uh, for those people who experience it, they always come back because uh, they, they enjoy it. It's, uh, you know, it's just, hmm. it's a different space seeing someone's work in the gallery, which is, which is kind of neutral space than uh, that seeing the work uh, in the artist's studio or house or see, you know, the space of work or where they live. Uh, it's, uh, you kind of, it's a more personal experience of artist's work. Mm-hmm. No, I, absolutely. I think it sounds like a pretty amazing event. Um, hopefully get to check that out someday. Well, cool. So uh, kind of winding down, I'm curious, who do you, who would you recommend us having on the podcast? Who do you think people would be interested in hearing from? So, um, yeah, I was thinking about this before. So, so um it would be I'd I'd like to hear um, uh, John Bach. He's a, a gallery owner here uh, in Oakhurst area, and uh, he's also the founder and the president of the Sierra Art Trails, uh, the event that I just mentioned, and also executive director of Yosemite Renaissance. So um, he can I think I think he he would be good to um, to uh, to have on your podcast. It will be not just uh, photography, but um, he's, he is a photographer too, but also a digital artist and gallery owner. And um, the local photographers who exhibit with me um, at um, the gallery in Oakhurst, uh, David Hoffman. He lives in Mariposa, Ponderosa Basin. And uh, Dan Mitchell. He's from Bay Area, but uh, he also uh, shows with us um, in Oakhurst, and uh, he comes to Yosemite um, a lot. And uh, they're both awesome photographers. Awesome. Yeah, I've been following Dan Dan's work for quite a long time. Um, he has some interesting blog articles that I've, you know, you just Google something you're curious about, and his website pops up. I know that's been my experience with him over the years, so... Uh, 
I like I like his stuff. So those are those are great recommendations. Um, well, cool. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Franca. It's been really fun learning from you and hearing your approach to to photography and. I think it was really fun. Um, um, I'm I'm really uh, well. I probably freak out when I hear this interview. <laughs> <laughs> <Aaron>. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was saying all this time, but um, uh, yeah, it was a great, great, great talking to you. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Well, thanks to Franca for joining us on the podcast to discuss her method for capturing unique photographs in a popular location. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a review over on iTunes. It's absolutely one of the best ways to support the podcast, other than supporting us on Patreon, of course. And speaking of Patreon, I wanted to thank uh, Suzanne Mathia for upping her pledge. I really appreciate you. And thanks to John Fisher and Lance Takata for supporting us. You guys are awesome. Well, you can join the conversation for the podcast over on Nature Photographers Network and on Patreon. There's been some great comments and amazing discussions, so check it out. Not only that, but NPN is, in my opinion, the premier community for landscape and nature photographers. If you've not joined yet, you're really missing out. It's an awesome community. Well, over on Patreon, we've also been doing some themed photo contests where patrons submit photographs based on a theme. The current theme is changing seasons, so let's see all of those great photographs on our community board. I'll be giving the winner a $20 gift card, so let's see those photos, guys. All right, well, as we've previously mentioned, I am really excited that we've finally reached one of our milestones for the podcast. About two years ago, I promised that when we reached $1,000 a month on Patreon, I would develop a Landscape Photography Conservation Award. Well, I've developed the criteria for that award, and we are actively seeking nominations. You can learn more about that in the liner notes of the podcast or on my blog at www.mattpainphotography.com. We have reached, we have received donations and sponsorships from listeners and brands that are, we've received donations and sponsorships from listeners and brands that are aligned with our message of responsible landscape photography. So far, the award is over $1,500 and we have some amazing bonus prizes that have been given to us by some incredible individuals and brands. First up, uh, QT Luang is donating a limited edition copy of his award-winning photo book, Treasured Lands. Treasured Lands is a book all about the 61 United States National Parks, with location and photography notes for each photograph. The limited edition version is valued at $245. Thank you, QT Luang. Next, we have Viewbug, which is a popular photo sharing and contest website. They're donating a Pro Plus membership to the winner of the award, which is a $179 value. We also have Tamron, the uh, amazing camera lens manufacturer. They are donating a 45mm f1.8 lens, a $600 value. And we have Read Art and Imaging. They're a fine art print lab located in Denver, Colorado. And they're my print lab of choice for high-end acrylic prints. And they are donating uh, the winner to the winner a $500 credit towards the purchase of an acrylic print. And lastly, we have Shimoda Designs. 
Uh, Ian and his amazing team over at Shimoda have sent me the next generation of their 60 liter camera backpack, which I'm super excited to put through some tests this coming week out in the field. Shimoda is donating to the winner of the conservation award a camera bag of their choice, a core unit, and a roller and accessory case, a $779 value. All right, well, let's thank the people that actually make this award possible, our patrons. We have a group of people over on Patreon that we like to call our podcast producers. They help shape the direction of the show and keep us afloat with their contributions. So without further ado, thank you to Suzanne, Mathia, Michael Rung, Frank Otto Peterson, Gary Randall, Zachary Smith, Richard Wong, Matthias at Photomagica, James Bakavoy, Danny LeFrancois, Ken Dono, William Nurse, Lori Berenson, Anton Everine, David Kingham, Charlotte Gibb, Jeff Peterson, Chris Rice, Eric Stensland, Jack Curran, and Michael Howard. All right, well, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. I am super excited to announce some of our upcoming guests and episodes. So uh, first up, we have Aaron Nace. He's the founder of Flurn, a photo education website, and I had a really great time talking to him. Uh, we have uh, my friend and patron of the podcast, Dan Hawk, joined us from the Pacific Northwest to talk about uh, his photography, which is really cool. We had Brenda Petrella join us. She's a photographer out of Vermont who joined us. Um, and we've got uh, several people coming up. We have Michael Fry, uh, Mahesh Thapa, Dylan Fox, and Carl Vandenboom. And lastly, I'm really excited uh, about an episode we have coming in January with Suzanne Mathia, Alex Noriega, Alex Nail, Guy Tal, Shan- Sean Bagshaw, David Cobb, and Len Metcalf. And we'll be talking all about photography education modalities. And I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So be sure to turn- tune in. All right. Well, thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.